My name is Craig Mitchell. I'm a judge in Los Angeles, and people who know me best probably would call me an old crazy runner. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. I'm Nicholas, the oldest of the old crazy runners, and I've got my cousin Fundy, the most southern Oregonist of the crazy runners. <laughs> that is true. You might have noticed we had some new intro music, and that is because on the Strava Run Club, Jeremy Smith logged 40 hours and 55 minutes last week. And you're going to want to go check out his, shall I say, epic profile photo with an epic beard and he's wearing a Minnesota Twins jersey and he's got a ha- a can of Ham's beer. So I can only presume from the Minnesota Twins jersey that he is quite familiar with uh, our introduction to Ham's. Drinking the flat beers our dads had left behind, thinking we were sneaking it behind their backs, but we weren't. They didn't care. Um, all I know is in the late 70s, there was a lot of drunk eight and nine-year-olds. Now, as much as we love our hams, what we really do enjoy is having a great conversation. And you're going to want to stick around for when we talk to Judge Craig Mitchell and learn a lot more about his charity, the Skid Row Running Club. And I had a chance uh, to go down and meet some of the guys from the Skid Row Running Club on my 18-mile training run over the weekend. Um, which was a lot of loop-de-loos. I noticed that on Strava that it seemed to be several circles. It was like, how how long of a lap was that? It was a three-mile loop around the Rose Bowl. Um, Okay. And then, so uh, I wasn't able to meet Judge Mitchell because there was a little bit of communication error, but I I met a lot of the Skid Row Marathon uh, guys that run every week with the group. Um, But there was a triathlon going on, so... Uh, I ran, I think, uh, four or five loops around that, and then I had to do a smaller loop. But what I did learn is that I think every city of any size, let's say over 50,000 people, should have a three-mile loop available uh, that the city funds. So speaking of old crazy runners, I I took off in the training one. I'm running along, and uh, there's uh, two women and a guy uh, that were plodding along. And they were running a little bit faster than me, but I was kind of keeping up with them. And so I was chatting with them. Hey, you guys training for anything? And they're like, yeah. We're, and they're my age. And they're like, yeah, we're training for Boston. I was like, oh, so you guys qualified for Boston? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I looked at my watch. I'm running a little bit, a little bit fast. Let them go. So I see Japan's Mariko Yugeta uh, set quite the mark and would most definitely have set a BQ as well. Yeah, 63-year-old Yugeta ran two sub-305 marathons in seven days. So basically, two weekends back-to-back. What is a 305 pace? Like, that's that's like 10K speeds for us. A 305 pace? Well, hold on a second. I might have a calculator and figure that shit out. Yeah, that's a 704. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a little bit faster than my 10K pace. 704. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, if you didn't want to run a 704 uh, marathon th- twice in seven days because you thought that might be just a little too much, you might want to do what Steve Edwards is working towards. And uh, he's nearing the com- record to complete 
1,000 marathons. 1,000. 1,000 marathons. He's going to do that. It's taken him 34 years to run 1,000 marathons, and he will become the first person ever to achieve that milestone in such a quick time. 34 years. That's Go by in a second. 34 years. Well, well, think about it. That's so 30 years. And uh, so if you do 30 by, so it's basically 30 marathons plus per year. He's averaging a race every 13 days over 34 years. That's uh, insane. He, he's currently sitting at 925, by the way. So he still has 75 to go. Um, Slasher. I, I, I believe is probably this year is what he's uh, uh, looking at. His last one as a 59-year-old, he ran a three-hour, 40-minute at the Rickmansworth Aquadrome uh, in February. Well, so, you know, I want to give him props for running fast, but he's probably just so tired of running marathons. He just wants to get them over with every time he runs one, and so he runs a little faster. Yeah, he's just... <laughs> like, I'm over this. I want to get it done. So started by running his first marathon at 18 in 1981. Oh, man. Uh, definitely not going to make that happen. Oh, you know what? We need to uh, reach out to Martin Kerr and let him know that uh, he, he has somebody he's got to take down because the guy also holds the British record for the most sub-three-hour, 15-minute marathons and the world record for the most sub-three-hour, 30-minute marathons. And how many three-hour... How many do you think he's ran that have been sub three thirty? Uh, so he's he's done over seven. I bet uh four fifty. No, no, he's done nine hundred and twenty five. Okay, uh six hundred. Eight hundred and one. Holy shit! And the three fifteen is three three hundred twenty five. Uh, both obviously amazing, amazing records. So Martin, if you're listening to this, uh, come on, man, pick it up, pick it up, slacker. I'm not even going to get 35 marathons in my life. Judge Mitchell created the Skid Row Running Club, which basically focuses on getting people who are homeless, living in the Skid Row Mission Shelter, out running, and if they complete every single training run of their marathon plan, Judge Mitchell raises funds and fly that flies them around the world to awesome places like Rome, Italy, and funds them to run an actual marathon to inspire them to believe in themselves so that they can get off the streets, get a job, and start believing in themselves again, basically. One of the things that struck me the most was how strong of a person Judge Craig Mitchell is, the dedication that he has, the focus that he puts out there, and more importantly, how important it is to him to improve the lives of others. It's a fantastic conversation. You're going to love it. Let's get to it. Today on Old Crazy Runners, we are super happy to welcome Judge Craig Mitchell. You might know him from the movie Skid Row Marathon, and we are so excited to have him here. Welcome, Judge. Welcome. Thank you very much. So uh, first thing I would like to ask, I basically morally and ethically only feel like I can call you Judge Mitchell. Um, is that what you would prefer, or do you have a preference for uh, when we're talking with you? It doesn't matter. Most folks, I mean, the people on the running club call me judge, but uh, Craig, whatever you feel comfortable with. Judge it is. I'm sticking with judge. Exactly. <laughs> so I want to uh, start off um, 
Bundy had watched the movie first, and he'd been telling me for some time that I needed to give it a watch. And it, a long time. He doesn't listen to me. I I listen. It's just, you know, <laughs> I have to manage that list with my wife, who uh, loved it as well, has loved every movie that we've sat down. And I just, I was so moved by the humanity, in particular, with, with your movie. And, you know, we've done some interviews with people and knowing about them as particular runners and who they are as people out on the course is one story, but you've interacted with such a range of people in this uh, investment of yours. And I really want to know how has the humanity come out and all of that for you? Well, uh, you know, before I was a lawyer, before I was a judge, I was a high school teacher for 17 years. And that was such a meaningful period of time in my life because you're dealing with young people who have their whole life ahead of them and, you know, you're trying to maximize their potential. And, you know, really good teachers are the teachers who don't go home at three o'clock, don't show up 10 minutes before first period, but ones who really try and make themselves available and maximize the experience for the students that they interact with. And so that was just a wonderful training ground, so to speak, for me to understand that to really have a meaningful impact on another person's life, you can't just carve out a very short period of time. You have to keep coming back. Yeah. And that's why running is so great because, you know, with the Skid Row Running Club, I run with my runners three times a week. We do it 52 weeks out of the year. We travel overseas together. And so, you know, you spend that much time with someone else, you know, your humanity and the humanity of the person that you're with, I don't see how it cannot come out. And that's a long answer to your question, but. Well, that, I was you hoping know, that, for a long answer, to be honest with you, because uh, I took away a lot of that as well. What stood out to me is that first marathon in the movie when you went to Africa and seeing how the locals were responding to your group's presence. Just that just touched me. And uh, I imagine that you have a lot more experience and examples of that than just the one. Well, and. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned our trip to Ghana, that our first overseas marathon. Many of our runners are African-American, and people ask me, well, why did you select to go to Ghana? I mean, it's, it's you know, not a very well-known marathon, um, pretty humble, to be quite honest. But, you know, I understood that many of our runners, I mean, their ancestors were put aboard the slave ships, probably from Ghana. Wow. And when we were in Ghana, we went to Cape Coast Castle and visited the dungeons where the Africans were imprisoned before they were put on the slave ships. And so to take the runners to Ghana to meet with their ancestors, so to speak, you know, was extremely meaningful. You know, when we went to Cape Coast Castle, uh, it was a very quiet reflective time for all of us. I'd love to get into more of these stories. I want to back up just a little bit for those, uh, for our listeners who haven't seen Skid Row Marathon. It's basically about the running club that you started at the Midnight Mission uh, in Los Angeles. It's correct, Midnight Mission, correct? 
Correct. And um, you go down there, you run three times a week uh, with everybody. And if the runners complete the uh, training, then you take them to do a full marathon somewhere in the world, maybe Rome, maybe Ghana. Um, when, when did the running club start? Running club started in 2012. And uh, how did it start? Was it just you going, walking down to the mission and saying, hey, this is something I want to do? Or Interestingly enough, a gentleman by the name of Roderick Brown, I sentenced him to state prison. Um, and when he was released from prison, he was paroled to the Midnight Mission. And for some reason, he thought I treated him well, even though I sent him to prison. And so he came back to my courtroom, and he was the one who invited me to go to the Midnight Mission and meet with the staff and the people in recovery uh, down on Skid Row. And how did that turn into a run club? (laughs) I had read several years earlier of a woman who formed a running club someplace on the East Coast for ex-felons. And so the president of the mission asked me if there was something that I could do to contribute to their program. And so I pulled that little tidbit uh, out of my memory banks and said, well, you know, ex-felons, people in recovery, people living on Skid Row, close enough. And I offered to start a running club. And there you go. And then it started. And we started with just a couple of runners and low but sure, you know, it's Fast forward to 2020, uh, instead of having three or four runners every run, we have between 30 and 40. That's awesome. Wow. That's a great run club. Um, so you must have some pretty good friends that you're running with now. I do. And what's wonderful is so many of the people that I run with have been with the program from the very beginning. Now, they're not living at the mission anymore. They're working. They have homes of their own. Some of them have started families. but the running club it has been such a vital component to them achieving their goals in, in their life that, that they stick with the program. So I would love to know a little bit about that very first run. Do you remember that first day you walked in there, expect, you knew that you were going to go on a run, and I mean, how did it just, how did it kick off? Well, I actually do remember it. And, uh, you know, I think I ran with two other people on that day. One was a gentleman by the name of Fuller, tatted up all over his face. I remember the flames that were tattooed on his neck. I mean, he was sort of you know, a rough-looking customer, but uh, he was one of my favorite people once I got to know him. And, you know, very soon into the experience, Fuller and I would have these lengthy discussions about religion and politics and, you know, what I did for a living. And, you know, it's, it's everything that running partners enjoy. One thing that strikes me with you talking about that, um, and we've mentioned this in a couple other podcasts, is, is, you know, right now our nation seems so divided, but Anytime we get a chance to actually sit down and hang out with people that we might not think we have much in common with, we end up having a ton in common with and, and becoming friends. And, and I'd love to hear you speak uh, on that, uh, you know, when you talk about running with a gentleman with, you know, flame tattoos on his well, neck and, and all of that. 
I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, running is is a means to to form a bond with other people. I mean, the running community, I mean, you go to any marathon, you may have thousands of people there, but you have something really vital to each one of those thousands of people in common. And so, you know, when you can find that common ground, in our case, it's running, you, I think, have a tendency to be more open to knowing more about the other person um, and giving the person a, a, a fair hearing. And, you know, obviously the division that you reference, I mean, much of it in our country right now is on a political level. And there are runners in our club that have diametrically opposed political views to my own. But, you know, in the context of running, we can have civil, meaningful discussions about those differences. And I, I wish the rest of America w would follow suit. Sounds like we might have to start the Skid Row America Run Club and just get the whole country out there on the road <laughs> <Absolutely>. every morning. <laughs> that, might, that might help. Um, so, you know, from, uh, I would love to hear from those discussions um, I find myself every time I'm having discussions with people that we might not be on exactly the same page with thing, uh, I find my, my, my own opinions and, and uh, maybe firmly held beliefs that I had changing and drifting. If, have you had any of those same experiences? Um, well, certainly I have grown in my understanding of uh, just a tremendous number of phenomenon. Um, I mean, before this whole experience, I had an academic perfection perhaps a professional understanding of addiction, but my understanding of addiction has moved to such a higher level at this point. I mean, I understand far better what it means to be in the grips of methamphetamine. I understand what it means to have a 12-step community. I understand how difficult it is to separate and distance yourself from addictive behavior in a way that I just never understood before. And similarly, our running club in the last few years, every year we go up to San Quentin State Prison and we run with the running club inside the prison. Oh, that sounds really cool. Uh, it, it is tremendously cool because, you know, and here these, a lot of the prisoners are serving a life sentence you know, and here they know I'm a judge and they know that at some point a judge pronounced that sentence um, that put them in state prison. But, you know, we can have a meaningful relationship with one another. And many of the inmates that I meet on those runs, we correspond now on a regular basis. And so, you know, those type of opportunities would never have existed for me had I not extended myself uh, in this way. So as you go through these experiences, I, I can't help but imagine it has had a, a significant influence on how you perform as a judge. And also recognizing that as a judge, you are constrained in different ways. And I'm just really curious, how has this running group uh, influenced your work as a judge? 
Well, any judge who spent any time on the bench in a criminal courtroom understands that addiction is driving probably 50% of the criminality that uh, comes into a courtroom. And uh, I mean, just this morning, there was a young man who probably had close to a dozen convictions for various offenses, most of them nonviolent, most of them property crimes, most of them committed to fuel or to uh, facilitate his addiction. And so, you know, I, I looked at this gentleman and he's been to prison before. And we fashioned a resolution whereby, you know, he has another chance, first chance to get into a mental health addiction program. And if he, for the next three years, abides by the requirements of that program and stays clean, then he'll avoid another trip to state prison. And hopefully this revolving door of criminality, conviction, state prison, release, criminality, repeat, repeat, repeat. Hopefully we can end that cycle. Uh, I find it interesting that we're getting down this road uh, because Addiction is something that is talked about a lot in the running community. There's a lot of people that have used running to get past uh, either some addiction, anxiety, um, things like that. And I think that I know myself, I've evolved uh, my views on addiction and what it means and, and how to get past it over the last few years. And I also know I've, I've thing, things like it costs $40,000 a year to incarcerate someone on average. Um, and right. if we're incarcerating people who are non-dangerous and stuff, uh, one, one thing Nicholas and I were talking, was like, if, if, if you were in charge, what would be one thing you would change, uh, in regards to addiction, criminality, prison system, where we as a society could make things better to actually improve, uh, our society versus just locking people away. I think we have to create very strong incentives for people to enter into recovery programs. And California, just in the last couple of years, have reduced all possession cases to misdemeanors. And the concept being that we need to keep people out of prison for simple possession when they're addicts and what they really need is treatment. But the problem is, if you have an addict that comes into court on a misdemeanor and says, okay, you know, we're going to give you 90 days in jail because you were found with cocaine or methamphetamine, and they know full well if a 90-day sentence, you get half-time credit, you're going to cut that down to 45 days, and the sheriff's department is so overcrowded and his budget is being constricted that he's gonna let you out in probably six or seven days. An addict's mentality is such, I will happily do six or seven days in custody if I can get out because then I can go back and use drugs again. And so we, we have to create a mechanism in the criminal justice system where if you are agree to go into treatment or recovery, you are able to avoid a significant confinement sanction and we haven't found that sweet spot yet gotcha yeah but it sounds like certain places and states might be getting closer to what that sweet spot is or there, are we still kind of lost 
In California, I can only speak because obviously that's the jurisdiction and the body of law that I'm most familiar with. We are trying to figure out what is right. Unfortunately, I think um, in reducing all possession cases to misdemeanors, uh, we're essentially giving a green light for people to continue to use drugs yeah. and not enter into recovery. So we've kind of overshot the other side, maybe. We have. We have. Well, I'd like to kind of stay on topic, but bring it back a little bit to running. Uh <laughs> <laughs> that is our, our our podcast, but you know, we see the physical damage that addiction can cause to people in, in in any number of ways. And for those that are in your running club, that have even if they haven't quite turned that corner, I, I would like to hear from you the personal change that you see or hear from your runners when they feel that physical growth of actually knowing and believing they can do something like run a marathon. A person who is an addict, you know, normally their self-esteem is in the gutter. And so to be able to get them to successfully complete a 10-mile training run, you know, is an incredible achievement for them. For them to be able to complete a marathon, you know, many of our runners after their first marathon, they don't take those medals off for days. Yeah. It, it's just such a powerful sense of accomplishment on their part. And, you know, I, I, I spoke with another addiction counselor and he said, essentially, you know, Judge Mitchell, we're in the self-esteem business. If we can make our clients believe in themselves and see themselves successful outside of their addiction, then we are well on the way to, you know, having them lead sober lives. And that's the beautiful thing about watching my runners. I mean, watching them stay sober year after year after year. And instead of having a community that is largely comprised of drug users, it's a community of people who are running three times a week. And I would imagine that they are also an incredible support network for each other. Oh, absolutely. And I can identify names of people who are sponsors, you know, and they'll, they'll be able to spot somebody. You know, someone is new to the running club. They can see when this person is shaky. They can see when the person relapses. And, you know, the necessary interventions take place. Yeah, and that's one of the driving things that we talk about, the importance of community magnified uh, in, in that regard. I mean, all of us do so much better when we have somebody along our, alongside us cheering us on. But to have somebody uh, in more of a peer role, letting them know, no, you, you can turn this corner. You can run that 10 miles. That, that's got to be pretty powerful. It's very powerful. And, you know, we have some of our, you know, veteran runners who, you know, someone will feed them a, a line of BS. Oh, no, I'm not using, et cetera, you know, and they'll just tell them like it is. <laughs> you can't, you can't fool a fool. Yeah. So uh, one of my uh, one of my friend's favorite phrases is, "You can't bullshit a bullshitter." Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so many times, you know, some of our our veteran runners will say, "That's what addicts say. That's how yeah. they act." Okay. And whereas me not having that life experience, I might be susceptible to believing them. It doesn't pass muster for people who have lived in the, in that realm. 
So you made uh, a comment about uh, the runners, you know, wearing their medals for days and uh, just kind of preface this. I've, I've ran two marathons. You clearly have ran at least that many because you were on camera doing it. <laughs> Bundy hasn't ran one just yet. And I know that moment when you cross that line can be one of the most exhausting, debilitating, yet exhilarating and personally uplifting moments. You are broken down and built up at the same time. And so I can just see, I, I can see their eyes when they put that medal on and really appreciate that sense of accomplishment and what it can really mean. And you, you go to their cubicle in the mission or you go to their little single apartment, you know, you're in there for about two seconds and you're going to see that medal hanging somewhere very visible because they want the constant reminder, yes, I did that. And the good thing about the running club is not only can they say that about the Los Angeles Marathon, but they can say that about Rome, about Berlin, about Da Nang. Uh, we ran the Jerusalem Marathon. We just got back from running a marathon in the Galapagos. Oh, wow. You know, and so, Did you so have to jump over any looked, turtles? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we swam with the turtles. Oh, that'd be cool. Okay. And, and for guys who, you know, you know, six months earlier had been sleeping on the sidewalk, you know, with the awful smells and surroundings on Skid Row and six months later to be staying in a nice hotel and swimming with turtles and sharks and everything else that the Galapagos has to offer. I mean, I mean, they say, you know, judge, I have to pinch myself to convince myself this is real. This is me. Yeah. And that sense of being there and accomplishment. Uh, thank you so much for giving that opportunity to people that, that really can benefit from it. And, you know, it convinces them in a way that I don't think words can, you know, because these trips are expensive. And we have a lot of people who support, financially support our trips. And they understand that an ex-addict, an ex-felon is important enough to someone they don't even know that that person is making this life-changing experience possible. And that just makes them feel good about themselves. And I, for me, I think that's one of the most important things with this, with this film um, for people who are wanting to change maybe they aren't criminals maybe they're just stuck in some sort of of rut or maybe as a society we view people who commit crimes as as people who are unable to change um can you talk a little bit about uh the propensity of the human spirit to change ourselves and and how we can change i mean you know i'm not going to kid anybody you know Change is difficult. Change, in many respects, is the exception. But what the Skid Row Running Club has taught me, while those realities may be true, change is clearly possible. And that's why I have so much respect for my runners. You know, I don't know whether I am constituted to overcome a serious drug addiction or not, because I've never had to do it. But I can point to 500 people who have that almost insurmountable task in front of them, and they succeeded. And, you know, I, I stand in the utmost respect and awe of everyone who, who could do that. Well, and I think that 
it's probably more mutual than you may be given credit for because these people also see you show up every day and run the 10 miles and run the marathon. And there's, there's a personal connection that you've established with them as far as overcoming something. It may not be that life cycle, but I I imagine it's got to be important to them to be able to stand next to you as peer marathon finishers in that moment. It is very important. You know, for the last nine years, you know, three days a week, I probably missed less than five uh, running programs. Okay. And they can see my level of commitment. And again, me showing up three times a week, 52 weeks out of the year, that makes a statement so much more powerful than any verbal one that I could express. They know that I value them tremendously because I am willing to commit the amount of time I am to spend with them. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And I think we can all relate in some sense because if we have our own running community, whether it might be just one friend or, a, you know, we have our group of four that we always run together. When we show up every, every weekend to run together, we're, we're basically saying, hey, we care enough to show up and, and you know, be part of your life. And uh, I would imagine that most of these people have gotten to the point in life where everybody has given up on them and they've, everybody stopped showing up for them. And you're proving to them that, that you're going to show up for them no matter what, as long as they show up and run. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, they have burned so many bridges by the time they end up in a mission on Skid Row that, um, you know, to have someone, and I think it's meaningful to them that someone such as myself, who's a judge, who has a position in our society that is reasonably well-respected, it, you know, sometimes initially they go, you know, we can't figure you out, judge. Okay? Why do you keep, you know? Why do you keep coming back? <laughs> That's a good place um, you know, to be. And not only that, you know, why do you take us around the world? Why do you have us to your home on the 4th of July to watch fireworks? You know, you know, why do you call your friends when one of us needs a job to see if uh, they know a place that uh, would employ us? I mean, it's it's far more than a running club. Yeah. Well, and I think the answer to the why you do that is expressed in your humanity and your personality you're clearly dedicated to the people you're around and what it means to see them succeed and the selfish side for you is the you know the value you get in watching that oh the you know the sense of just the the gratification the, the satisfaction of watching another human being whose life at one point in time was not playing out well and to see it take a 180. I mean, you know, you, you go to sleep at night and say, you know, if I should not greet the morning, um, my life has been worthwhile and meaningful to others. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. So one thing that we like to do whenever we get a, a chance, and this is a perfect chance, um, you know, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners out there that they want to run farther or maybe they're just started started running and this is a perfect example to say well you know you're able to take someone who's basically homeless last week and they're in a mission this week and then work them up to 
being able to run a marathon. So that pretty much tells most people that they can also do it. So uh, when someone first starts the running club, what's what's your process from them from actually like, uh, you know, how much they're running the first day? What's the first goal? Um, what's that process? Well, whenever we get a new runner, uh, the beginning of the run, I always say, okay, you know, Raphael, Ben, uh, Arthur, you need to shadow this person. And the person can only go, you know, a mile or so before they stop running or their their breath is completely, you know, debilitating them at that point. You need to stay with them because we don't want anybody to run alone. Yeah. And, you know, then whoever is chaperoning them, so to speak, will bring them to where we finish. And we offer words of encouragement and, you know, please stick with it, you know, and, and they. You know, then, then there are the testimonials. We have Ben, who you saw in the movie. You yeah. know, he he lost a hundred pounds. Yeah, he could. He, you know, he could hardly move at all when he started. And you know, we'll have those type of people approach our new runners. They'll share their personal story, and uh, you know, usually it results in them coming back for run number two, three, etc. And then you just basically they just get to where they're running a little bit longer every time they run and, and working up to whatever the schedule is for the rest of the group? That, that's correct. And, you know, even some of our long-term runners, they're still not fast. Okay, so, you know, if we'll have 30 to 40 runners, you know, we'll have people, we have runners who are running at a six-and-a-half-minute mile pace, Holy and shit. we have people, <laughs> oh, thank you, yeah, okay, <laughs> Um, and we have people who are, you know, doing their best to run a 12 to 14 minute mile pace. Yeah. So, you know, everybody feels pretty comfortable. Yeah. So, uh, next step, and this is, uh, just me being selfish. Um, so hopefully I'm going to be putting on my first uh, full marathon next year. What is the run schedule to, uh, prep me to be able to complete that full marathon? I do halves pretty regularly, but never done a full. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, and I always love the people who, when you say, well, okay, you know, we just finished the marathon. Oh, I did a half. Well, yeah, it's different. You know, please understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I a know. A full is a different beast than two halves. Fully aware. Okay. Um, I always tell my guys that um, because our running program, too, we have them do a half marathon before they entertain the full. Um, but, you know, I also firmly believe that if you have three to four months and are willing to run five days out of seven, uh, you're going to be ready, you know, on marathon day. So what are my uh, five days? What, what's that schedule look like? You know, we do six or seven miles on Mondays and Thursdays. On Saturdays, we do our long runs. You know, we start out at 10, and then you up it to 12, and then you go to 15, and then you go to 18, and then you go to 20. You do a couple of those, uh, you know, every other weekend. You gradually build up your, your mileage. And if you do that sequence on the weekends for your long runs, you do two of each of those, you're going to be ready. Well, I wish we had a camera in the room right now because I am patting myself on the back. I've been telling him for this for months that it, uh, it that that's really what it's all about. I kind of I, I want to take a moment. I want to go back to uh, those first runs and how hard they are. 
And as a runner, what I like to speak to is embracing what that difficulty is because all runs are difficult. I might run faster now than I did five years ago, but it's still just as hard to run any one run. I just have higher expectations for myself. And I think that that mindset can be really important in that moment to recognize that every single person showing up today is going to struggle with this run in a way that is meaningful to them. And that is why we're here. Uh, You know, just sort of a funny aside to that, you know, after some of our long runs, um, I will congratulate them when they're finally at the end and some of the spring of expletives that they will share with me at that moment. We're a fan of, we're a fan of expletives too. (laughs) It's just an absolute riot. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I've been running for 25 years, you know, and a 15 mile run, 20 miles, it's still hard. Still hurts. It's still hard. Um, and speaking okay. of speaking of you running for that long, I think you are the fifth guest that we've had that have officially had a doctor tell them that they shouldn't run anymore, uh, but they kept running. Well, no, I've I've had several doctors uh, <laughs> give me that advice. Yeah, so I'm just wondering how often we should actually listen to our doctors. Well, it's zero <laughs> when it comes to running. Well, I, I listen to them, but I also you know understand that my level of fitness is way outside of the box yeah and i I find that most doctors are are conservative and that's probably a wise posture to take with most of your patients but i am not the typical 64 year old well they don't know how crazy you you are right (laughs) well there you go so i would love to hear how some of uh the people who are featured in the skid row movie are currently doing now one of my favorite characters uh, or people was Raphael, who really showed how people can turn their lives around. Uh, how's he doing? Um, funny you should mention Raphael. Raphael was in my chambers less than two hours ago. Oh, beautiful. That is cool. Okay, Raphael is uh, an employee of the Department of Water and Power. Uh, and that's a very coveted job, a government job. Mm-hmm. He is making, uh, a, you know, Three, four times minimum wage. Um, he actually it, what talked to me in chambers today about he was going to a meeting with a lender because he's about ready to buy a house. Oh, my God. That has got to be just putting him on cloud nine. Oh, ab- absolutely. And um, while uh, no one can be responsible for another person. I'm, I'm sure that makes you feel good because you were able to help him with his parole board and, and help him, um, you know, with, with steps that, that he had trouble with after he was released. Correct. And, you know, in any relationship, uh, and particularly with people like Raphael, you know, you're saying, okay, Raphael, you need to revisit this decision. You know, let's think a little bit more about this. Um, you know, and the name of your podcast, you know, Crazy Old Runners. I mean, there are a few benefits to getting old, but, you know, <laughs> if you can share you know, some of the wisdom that you have accrued um, with younger people, you know, that's one of the benefits. It is. And I think uh, for anyone uh, under 50 that's listening to this podcast is that 
Uh, wisdom simply means that we've all we have just made the mistakes already. Yeah, we already have the scabs to prove it. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah, already yeah. You, the, you, done you, the you stupid things. You don't have things. to repeat our errors. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Uh, or more importantly, we know you're going to repeat our errors, and we want to be here showing you there is uh, another side. And you know, our right. stories don't have the depth of some of the ones that you highlighted in the movie, but they're still that same. We fall down, we get up, uh, we show up for others. We help others in small ways that seem small to us, but might be huge to them. And it's just about putting that positivity out there. And, and, you know, you ask how the runners are doing, you know, another one of the runners in the movie that was featured has been Shirley. He was the musician. Yeah. I was going to ask about him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the line that needs to be etched on him on his tombstone is just show up. Things will happen. I mean, if he said it once, he said it, 20 times. Yeah. And, and there is great wisdom in, in that simple expression, particularly for runners. If you manage to drag your butt out of bed and get to the starting line, things will happen. And they're good things that are going to happen. Definitely. And I think one of the reasons, we, certainly why we uh, are runners to begin with and why we started the podcast is because it is so metaphorical to everything in life. It just is a simple example that you've got to get up, you got to tie your shoes, and you got to take that step and put in the miles. Right. Yeah. Right. And Ben, Ben, right now, Ben just moved to Chicago. He is now supporting himself and his wife as a full-time composer in the movie industry. Oh, that's beautiful. Also, I'd like to okay. point out that is a difficult career to really step in i mean you have to put up with a lot of hard knocks when it comes to anything in the music industry so he's and continued you have to, to have, let alone hollywood yeah. he's doubling down right and, and you you have to have extraordinary talent yes yeah and ben has extraordinary talent i mean here he was a bass player in a uh what would it punk rock or you know band and now he is computer Posing scores for full orchestras. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, and, and it's just gorgeous music that he's producing. And also it shows that, you know, that's what he had inside of him the whole time. And he even acknowledged in the movie that he had self-destructive behavior where he was not putting himself in a position to succeed. And once again, back to that metaphor, once he had a group and a community to realign that focus, look where it happened. And look at the benefit that the larger community has reaped once he overcame his addiction. Uh, excellent point. I mean, we can look about this at the individual level, but every single one of these stories represents a point where society as a whole is benefiting as well. Absolutely. So what's, what's the future look like for um, your running group? Well, once we ever get past this COVID nineteen, tell me about you know, it. <laughs> we'll we'll get on a plane, and uh, we were scheduled to go to Myanmar this year to run the Bagan Marathon, and uh, the plug just got pulled on that two weeks ago. Oh, jeez! But uh, so that's postponed till next year. But we are still running three days a week. We just finished a fifty-four mile ultra marathon this past Saturday that we <laughs> do crazy. once a year. Yeah. So, um, and in particularly since so many of the group meetings that are essential to people in recovery, the AA, the NA meetings, the 12 step meetings, those are being done virtually now. And, you know, 
to actually be able to get out within six feet of someone else and run a long distance and have mm-hmm. a conversation with someone in that context, it's really important. So we are not altering our schedule. We're all wearing masks. We're trying to maintain social distancing, but the group runs continue. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait till uh, we all have a vaccine. We can go about you know in person runs. Um, I'm gonna right. pu- I'm gonna put a plug in for the Tokyo Marathon since I lived in Japan for a long time and speak Japanese. Um, and so I'm gonna put a plug for that. Maybe I can join in on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I can attest that going to Tokyo with Bundy is an awesome time. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Um. But that's that's beautiful. Also, uh, can't wait until uh, we can travel a little bit freer. I'd love to make a road trip down there and just run uh, with your run group. Yeah, and you're you're going to be warmly embraced if you show up at one of our morning runs. Um, you know, the guys are just always excited to see a new face. Um, and so, please, if you get a chance to come to Los Angeles, and I extend that invitation to all of your listeners. You know, Mondays, Thursdays, you can look at our website, uh, Skid Row Running Club. All of our runs are posted. Uh, We welcome people. We have people who have seen the movie from all over the world. They come to Los Angeles on vacation. They show up because they say they just want to have this as a part of their United States experience. And so, you know, I, I encourage anybody to do that. That's beautiful. So skidrowrunningclub.com. We'll put that also in the notes. Um, and uh, that's awesome. People just show up and run. And as much as I would, will definitely join you and would love to run, I'd also like to know how else can people help support the mission? Is there shoe or, or gear donations? Is there ways that we can just give a little bit to help this uh, great cause continue? Any little bit helps. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit, registered nonprofit. So any donation to Skid Row Running Club is tax deductible. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to go on our website and, and, you know, help out in any way that you can. Um, so that's yeah. awesome. And do you take uh, donations of, you know, used running gear and stuff for people? Or uh, do you prefer cash donations <laughs> we've, for we've uh, buying learned. new stuff? Or what's your, what's your preferred okay. method? You know, when the club, the first couple of years of the club, we were running in used shoes. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, you Not know, the best. <laughs> it, it doesn't work out very well. Yeah. Okay. And we have a local uh, running shoe store that makes their shoes very affordable to us. Gotcha. And so to, to take somebody, you know, to take somebody and put them in a nice new pair of running shoes. And we all know how those feel. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's super motivation in and of itself. Yeah. It makes a big difference when you're out there with something that is functionally what that, you're supposed to be using. Right. That is measured and fitted for your type of foot. So, yeah. you know, we, we splurge when it comes to new shoes. Yep. Well, uh, I'm no, I'm going to go right online and make a donation, get buy a pair of shoes for somebody. And I encourage all the listeners, if you have the means, uh, hop right on their site and make a donation because, uh, everybody loves a new pair of running shoes. They do, including myself. Yeah. I just, uh, our favorite, our favorite Brooks running shoes just went on sale yesterday and I think we're all going to hop on and buy a pair. (laughs) There you go. Uh, so what, uh, what shoe does, do you run in? Yeah. What is the judge's preferred shoe? 
Um, I am running currently in Mizuno's, I guess the Wave. And uh, for 20 years, I ran in ASICs. And one of the runners from the running uh, program suggested I try something a little lighter. So, you know, uh, we'll see. How's it working out for you? It's, it works out fine. I mean, the ASICs, I got more mileage out of them. The Mizunos are lighter, um, mm -hmm. so it's a little easier, you know, to, to log the long distances. Uh, but the uh, the heel breaks down faster. So, you know, take take your pick. <laughs> well, I have uh, a question to come back to. We, we, we talked about the medals and what they mean to the individual runners, and we talk about medals here because we put a huge priority on them. I'm really curious. What is the coolest medal Ooh, of all the races you come to? Which which one do you just go? I love that one. Um, the coolest one by far would be the Rome Marathon, and, and it's cool for a variety of reasons. Um, one, it is not so big that you feel like your neck is being pulled down <laughs> when you put it on. Um, so many races seem to be the bigger the medal, supposedly that's the better, okay? Um, not in my opinion. And like almost everything else in Italy, there is a sensitivity to good art that has produced that medal, okay? It's, it, it's you know, so many of the medals, they really are sort of tacky, okay? But there, you looked at the Rome medal and you said, a really fine artist designed that one. And so, no, that's an easy question to answer. Uh, okay, well, it looks like we got to add that one to the bucket list. I would also ask if you could uh, snap a picture in that and send it to us. I'd love <laughs> to see that medal. Ditto I could on do that. that. Yeah, yeah, we would love to see that. We, uh, now, we've actually talked about this on a couple podcasts. and. At first glance, we do like the larger metals. I mean, I'm kind of the, the flavor flave when it comes to <laughs> what sort of metal I want to get. But talk about old. <laughs> yeah. More than anything else, it's the representation and the metals that really exemplify what was unique about that race. And it sounds like the Rome really stood out in that regard. Well, I, I've run, for instance, the Bagan Marathon in Myanmar, uh, also known as Burma. And they have the temples of Bagan depicted on that marathon. Um, wow. so, I mean, that, that's hard to beat. Um, boy, um, we also have, we just, as I said, we did the LA river marathon. That's our own race. And the medals that we give out to the finishers of that 54 mile ultra is actually a stone, uh, from the LA river that is cut and then polished. And so the person's medal is actually taken from a piece of the LA river. I mean, it's like having the piece of the Berlin wall if you ran the Berlin marathon. Um, so, you know, it, it's just nice to look at that and say, boy, you know, there's some meaning behind that polished piece of stone. So uh, as you were, as you were saying that I could see into Nicholas's eyes and behind his eyes, his brain was going, damn it. Am I going to have to run 54 so miles? Fucking cool. <laughs> uh, First thing that stood out to me, every single one of those is going to be unique no matter what you do. And I just am uh, blown away with that. I think that is a fantastic idea. And you're right. That might just be what pushes me to have to run 54 <laughs> miles. 
So uh, we know that you are busy being a judge, uh, which is very important. And we thank you for that and your service to the community and everything. What I would like to just ask uh, as we let you as we let you leave is is what is your message to uh, humanity and uh, what we can all do to help make our world uh, a better place for each other? I would ask people to reserve judgment on others. Um, don't pass cursory judgment. You, you, you see someone who seems to be passed out on a sidewalk or, you know, you see an article about someone who's getting arraigned on certain criminal charges. Just understand that is a very one-dimensional image of that person. It is a snapshot from perhaps their worst uh, experience in life. And to be fair to other people, Every person's life is almost an infinite composite of experiences, of highs and lows. Um, and if you're going to pass judgment on a person, do it only when you have the full picture in view. And I think if we would do that across the board, not only would we be far more tolerant of other people, we would um, be edified uh, by the humanity and the goodness that most people possess. Judge Craig Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it has been an honor to be able to speak with you and to learn more about the great work that you're doing. For everybody out there, Skid Row Marathon is the movie to watch. Skidrowrunningclub.org, I assume, would be the website to uh, check out and to help out as much as you can. And just like everybody in the movie and everybody in our podcasts, Get out there, put in the miles, and feel the difference. To both of you, thank you so much for having me. Uh, cool fucking dude. You know, <laughs> here's the thing. It's, it's interesting that these come from movies. And, yeah. you know, each of these people, you see them in the show, and you're, you're, you get personally motivated, and you get a slight amount of con connection to them. And then we get a chance to talk with, with each of these people individually. Yeah. And every single one of them is elevated beyond anything I could have thought about. And I just want to say this personally. Judge Mitchell, you are an amazing human being. You truly, truly are. And I know you're probably more humble than I would be in that moment. <laughs> but you deserve all the accolades that you get for going out there and putting yourself in a position to... Uh, really empower other people to be better people. And we didn't even talk about this, but uh, for example, let's talk about Raphael, right? Yeah. Well, Raphael also has a family. And so he's improved, help improve Raphael's family. And then all of the people that his family's going to come exactly. in contact with. And that cascade of you change the direction of one person and you change the direction of every person they come in contact with until they pass away. So. Uh, can't thank uh, Judge Mitchell enough. Um, definitely go on his website. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, make a donation so he can buy some shoes for somebody or help buy plane tickets to the next marathon. Uh, that's what I'm going to do because yeah. it definitely seems like it's more important to these people than than uh, than how I can use an extra hundred bucks right now. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate and review the podcast and always share it with your friends so they can join in with all of us for these great episodes. 
and be sure to go by Strava and join the old Crazy Runners podcast, Strava Run Club, because that's where all us old crazies hang out. It's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, to keep putting in the miles. And keep being old crazy runners. <laughs>